Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. In this episode, HBW Insight speaks to its own OTC expert, Managing Editor Malcolm Spicer, about the recent controversy in the US surrounding oral nasal decongestion active ingredient phenylephrine. Used widely and safely by US consumers for around half a century, the efficacy of oral phenylephrine has come under question following a 2015 citizen petition by University of Florida pharmaceutical researchers which asked the FDA to remove the ingredient from the final OTC CCABA monograph. Only recently addressing this petition, prompted Spicer points out by reforms to the US OTC monograph system, an FDA advisory panel has unanimously voted that research the FDA presented during a two-day meeting in September didn't support oral phenylephrine's efficacy for nasal decongestion at the CCABA monograph dose of 10 mg. Drawing on his extensive experience in writing on this topic, Spicer takes us beyond the headlines to the key points you need to know about this crucial development, which may or may not have wider implications beyond the US. Hi there, Malcolm. Thanks for uh, coming back on the Over the Counter podcast. How are you doing? Good day to you, David. Fine. I'm fine, thank you. I'm very, very welcome to be here. Uh, excited about this. Uh, and a few people care about the status of oral ep- ep- uh, phenylephrine than myself. <laughs> well, as usual, you've written uh, many very informative articles. So I've took this opportunity to once again... Um, yeah, get your expertise on this issue. Um, and then, you know, for not just our US readers and listeners, but also for people in the EU who might be thinking about this as well. That's a good point. I, I have to admit, I'm, I often just think of uh, in a US centric kind of way, but uh, they certainly uh, HBW Insight has readers all over the world. So some of them may be learning about uh, the US and oral phenylephrine for nasal decongestion for the first time and for how our monograph system works better for the first time yeah. so uh <laughs> glad and glad to help them too excellent all right so um i don't think we need to introduce you um again um our listeners will hopefully be familiar with with um yourself as the hp okay w insight editor um but maybe you just want to give a bit of background to this issue so what's happening um, and why the FDA is looking at this issue at the moment, if you will. Well, thank you, David. And certainly the questions we're going to go over address uh, everything I can say as an introduction, really. Um, uh, But oral oral phenylephrine, (laughs) I'm going to be stumbling over after not not having any problem with it uh, while writing about it. At any rate, oral (laughs) phenylephrine has been available you know, for decades in the U.S., uh, uh, primarily uh, in formulations, uh, both RX and OTC, but, you know, primarily OTC formulations for nasal decongestion. Uh, it's uh, most available in multi-ingredient f- uh, formulations uh, with other uh, ingredients uh, for the purpose of uh, head cold, you know, you know nasal, decon- nasal congestion, cough cold, guafenazin, uh, uh, comes to mind is is the most common one, and sometimes with acetaminophen or ibuprofen, ibuprofen rather, uh, you know, which are pain or pain relievers. 
Um, it's uh, very rare, actually, as a single ingredient to formulation. Uh, but uh, 16 years ago, uh, a couple of uh, uh, pharmacy professors in the U.S. at the University of Florida actually uh, petitioned the F- uh, submitted a citizen petition to the FDA, uh, arguing that it is not the ingredient is not effective for nasal congestion, and asking FDA to remove it from the monograph, the OTC monograph, and also to uh, uh, um, um, uh, remove from the market uh, drugs, including the ingredient that are approved by applications. Uh, so the FDA at, at that point uh, in 2007 uh, conducted an advisory committee meeting for you know advice on what to do. Uh, which is, you know, a sign that FDA did that as a sign that they took seriously. They they didn't just uh, uh, review and and uh, and uh, you know sign off on the citizen petition as being uh, uh, you know uh, unimportant or anything. Uh, but at that point, the the previous advisory committee in, in 07 uh, said that more studies are needed, but but that in the meantime didn't see any uh, need to make any change to the monograph or otherwise approvals of of uh, oral phenylephrine as a nasal decongestion. Uh, so more studies were done, and including by the gentleman who sent in the the petition, the two two professors from the University of Florida, and they sent in a second petition in 2015 with additional information, additional research data, and asking the same thing. Um, so uh, that was uh, 2015, which is eight years ago. And the FDA this year, 2023, conducted another advisory committee meeting, uh, not really with the same question as before in 07, because this time FDA is convinced by the research uh, and their and their review of research data that oral phenylephrine is not effective, is ineffective as a uh, uh, a nasal decongestion ingredient. Uh, so they asked this time they asked the advisory committee the question was does the does the research data support efficacy for this ingredient and the committee unanimously said after a two-day meeting re- reviewing a lot of evidence and hearing a lot of argument uh from critics of the of the ingredient as well as people from the industry who are you know oppose uh removing it from the market and the committee unanimously said it, the data show it's not uh effective as a nasal decongestion uh that those that was not a marching order for FDA to remove it, though. FDA made clear they were just asking what the, you know, their panel of experts thought about the research. Uh, so the the reason uh, FDA doesn't act quickly or, you know, very quickly at all on citizen petitions, unless there's some, you know, uh, apparent safety problem, a clear safety problem. And by that note, you know, it, w- it wouldn't take a citizen petition for the FDA to be aware of a safety problem in the in the in drugs or or med tech that they regulate. Uh, so they there was no rush. Uh, they it was done now in 2023 because uh, the FDA's uh, since 2020 has authorization to overhaul and reform its OTC monograph system to make it basically to make it workable, to make it uh, more efficient and, and modernize it to streamline the process. So if FDA had tried to do this before, it would have been simply an open ended question. They, they could not have done it. They could not have done anything because the industry would have continually you know, stra- uh, extended the argument 
and there was nothing in the old uh, there were no uh, uh, you know barriers or or uh, you know limits in the old system where you know the FDA could simply put its foot down and say stop you know we're going to do what we're going to do uh, the new system simply uh, uh, removes that extended open-ended comment argument period and sets deadlines on when the FDA will make decisions uh, on, on its own uh, proposals, which this would be if it does happen, as well as on proposals made by submitted by industry or other stakeholders for changes to a monograph. Um, and and uh, recently, uh, the FDA's uh, chief uh, person in the Office of Non-Prescription Drugs told us that, that, you know, we could not have, you know, in so many words, she said we could not have done it in the uh, old system. It would have been something that, you know, wouldn't end. And now with this new system, this is really the first um, the first project, you will, that FDA is taking on under uh, for making a, a a substantial change to a monograph. Yeah, so that you've just answered um, one of my questions when I was reading all the articles that you've written recently. I was thinking, well, you know, this or at least the last thing before this was this petition in 2015. And then it seems to have taken, what, eight years for anything to happen. But so this is the reason, is it? Yeah, that is the reason. Uh, and again, um, the FDA is under, uh, because there's no safety problem, they're under no uh, pressure to do something here. Um, and uh, as well, this, this isn't the only thing on their plate. They've had much, you know, for one, the monograph overhaul has taken up a lot of, lot of their man hours. Uh, and the COVID epidemic or pandemic rather, uh, you know, threw a, a wrench into all offices, uh, the work of all offices at FDA. Uh, and so everything has kind of, uh, many things were put on the back burner, which before would have been high priority items. Uh, and it didn't take the COVID thing, you know, they, as I said, they have much going on and it wasn't as if this was the only thing they were going to work on. So, uh, you know, time has come with a combination of a better, more efficient monograph system. They have they have additional staff for the monograph as part of the reform and other things that, you know, were taking priority are, are somewhat behind them now. Fair enough. And I suppose we should just clarify also this point about it not being um, all phenylephrine products, is it? It's specifically the issue is with oral phenylephrine. And so we're not talking about nasal sprays is, is the point here. Is that right? That's a good point. A very important, very important point, David. Uh, yeah. Um, and certainly uh, I, I stress, uh, try to emphasize and make clear in every every sentence I write about this, that it's oral phenylephrine uh, and nasal formulations remain available. Uh, it, there's no indication it's not uh, so far, Lisa, that it's not effective uh, for nasal decongestion in a nasal spray. Uh, only oral products uh, con containing the ingredient indicated for nasal decongestion are affected. And that's OTC as well as RX. And again, the large majority are OTC products. And that, that, when I was talking to someone earlier about this, they said that it had something to do with the way that it was absorbed uh, when it was when it's taken as a oral, uh, I suppose, like a systemic drug, um, whereas in the in the nasal passage, it's it's absorbed directly. It's something like that. 
And that's absolutely right. Uh, the bioavailability of it. Uh, um, there's just uh, the uh, makeup, the chemical profile of the ingredient uh, renders it um, not resistant, but it, it's not it's not as easily absorbed into the system as many other as other ingredients are when it's used orally. And so that uh, much of it doesn't reach the uh, point where it's needed in the nasal area. Um, and that contributes to it not being effective. Um, that, that and that points to uh, that points to. I'm sure I, I suspect the and I'm pretty sure the FDA is, is going to say if if you know if and they've done this with other ingredients. Uh, uh, ranitidine comes to mind most recently uh, that which where there was a safety problem or a potential safety problem. If industry or any any stakeholders can introduce a you know develop and introduce a a, a type of uh, phenylephrine that works and is effective as a decongest nasal decongestant when taken orally uh, they would be glad to to make you know to uh, add those to the monograph or to make those available through applications there you go there's the challenge but until until that point then um so just i suppose the first question is what is next in this um you know in this development you said that the the point at this stage isn't that FDA is looking to um, withdraw the monograph, but what what happens next? Um, well, they have plenty of time because uh, you know the the, mo the monograph clock is not ticking. You know, there's something a, a proposal has not been made, uh, and, uh, and and since there's no they're under no deadline, I, I'm I'm sure they're going to use any time all the time that they want to make sure. That their proposal, if there is one, uh, is somewhat airtight. That uh, you know that uh, it, it can, it, as well as uh, addressing uh, the need as it sees to uh, remove oral phenylephrine from the monograph and potentially uh, from the market and and drugs approved by applications. That they also are acknowledging and addressing the potential impact on the market and on the industry. And so that certainly nobody's going to be entirely happy, particularly the industry, uh, but they're going to FDA will use all the time it has it wants to make this a very clear and comprehensive. And, uh, and certainly there will be argument against it no matter what they do, but a proposal that will, will work. Uh, and then once it's introduced, uh, there's six months public comment on it. Uh, and then after that, uh, a process that could take as much as 18 months before FDA would uh, uh, make a final rule. Um, the uh, 18 months plus you know, the, the six months to start with is two years, and that may sound like, and sound like a long time. However, in the, under the old system, two years would have, would have been you know, a overnight almost in compar comparison to how, much, how long the process would take if in fact a proposal was successful. And most weren't because uh, because of the somewhat open-ended uh, process for allowing argument against the proposals. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also check out HPW Insight at hpw.sightline.com. 
for all the latest health, beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening. This episode continues now. So you mentioned about industry. Obviously, there's this um, reform to the process, which means that, um, you know, there isn't this open-ended process. But clearly, uh, companies are affected. Industry has something to say about it. So I suppose the first question is, you know, what kind of market are we talking about here? How how big is it? And, um, and what kind of uh, brands or, you know, companies are immediately affected by what would be immediately affected by any change to the monograph? The sales in the U.S. of, uh, of oral phenylephrine, uh, and, th- and this is an estimation that doesn't include all retail sources, so the, you most likely can add another uh, 15, maybe 20 percent of the total to the total. So uh, the most recent numbers were 2022, and it was 242 million, uh, and then pseudoephedrine, and we can talk about that too, which is also a nasal uh, decongestion ingredient. Pseudoephedrine sales were, were uh, 51 million. The previous year, oh, one, or 21 rather, uh, phenylephrine sales were 184 million, and uh, pseudoephedrine were 44 million. Um, another measure is the packages uh, sold. And in uh, 2022, uh, phenylephrine oral products were. Uh, accounted for 82% of the market with more than 240 million packages compared to 51.5 million for pseudoephedrine. That that estimation is, is uh, included uh, data from more sources. So in 2022, phenylephrine products, oral products, the sales were recommended, uh, represented rather 76.5 uh, of the market and they were 1.77 billion and uh, the remaining part of the market was pseudoephedrine which was 41 million that's 2022 the previous year 2021 uh, 1.2 billion phenylephrine and nearly 460 million uh, for pseudoephedrine um, I want to point out this is a good uh, good point to point out I think that uh, since 06 uh, Sales of in the U.S. sales of non-prescription pseudoephedrine-containing products, most of them are for decongestion, but there are some others that would contain it for some reason. Are behind the counter, meaning you have to ask uh, a uh, you know a salesperson for it, or in some in some areas actually at the pharmacy counter, although that's not required uh, to to prevent its diversion for the making of uh, methamphetamine. That since 06, the law that established that also put a monthly limit on how much uh, a person, a, a person can buy and how much they, uh, a person can buy at once. Uh, there are states have developed different uh, systems, states with the, with the uh, help of industry for that matter, have, have developed different systems for tracking how much is bought by a person and they they have to under the law the law simply but the law didn't tell them how to do it they just said they had to do it so uh um it was it was uh, we we wrote a lot of stories about it back in the day uh now it's it's died down and coincidentally i had a conversation this week with a gentleman about uh, 
about state laws and and uh, uh, it said it's died down but uh, there there's always something going on in some state or another looking at some greater restriction or certainly the the federal law you, you they can't go any uh, any less stringent in the federal law but uh, they might apply greater restrictions and it's just something that it's something that uh, the OTC industry initially opposed then got on board and worked with congress on the bill and now today they just want to make sure that uh, if possible that states don't do anything uh, more stringent than what's required in the law uh, i mentioned that because uh, the availability of pseudo uh, pseudo rather uh, the limits on it, at least, are one reason the industry says that phenylephrine should remain available because it's not behind the counter. And, you know, all, all you and I have to do is go to a store counter and get it and pay the pay the cashier for it um, or order it on Amazon for that <laughs> for that matter. But uh, um, so th that and that's one thing FDA is going to have to consider, you know, uh, what's the impact to the consumers? Is it an inconvenience to the point that uh, um Phenylephrine, despite its, uh, despite being shown to be ineffective as a nasal, nasal decongestant, that perhaps should remain on the market. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll come to the kind of consumer reaction in a second. Um, but just, I suppose, just for context, uh, saying, you know, for our European listeners, how big a market is that when you talk about, um, you know, over 200 million uh, in sales value is that i mean how does that compare to the say the nasal market and the cough and cold category in general is that i mean is that a big is that a big market or relatively small yeah market? yeah uh, phenylephrine you know if it's hard to say an average family but if a family or an individual has you know a cough cold medicine in their medicine cabinet they they have a phenylephrine product uh, it's very common, um, and again, it's in predominantly in multi-ingredient uh, 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 formulations. Uh, so it's it's you know it's 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 common as salt, really, David. I mean, if if, if I've got salt in my kitchen cabinet, I probably probably got phenylephrine somewhere in my medicine cabinet. <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. Oh yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so what about companies wise what are the what are the big has everyone got skin in this game or are we talking about a, a few companies that's the best way to put it yeah everybody's got a skin in the game you know kenview gsk actually gsk now is uh uh Haleon, procter and gamble and Reckitt. uh those are the brand names and then uh, all uh, Perigo certainly leading the private label providers, but all the private label providers have phenylephrine formulations, uh, both monograph and uh, India and application approved formulations. So, you know, the uh, industry from large to small companies has a lot to lose if this product is this ingredient rather. Uh, there is some there's some change made to its availability, ranging from simply striking approval to uh, uh, and perhaps uh, maybe uh, requiring uh, additional labeling, which would advise consumers more about the what they could expect from phenyl oral phenylephrine. And so, given the impacts of this, or you know, whatever happens on industry, what are industry saying about this and doing? What's been their reaction so far? Oh, they're 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 not giving up. They're they're. Uh, 
uh, by industry in the U.S., of course, you were talking about the Consumer Health Product Association representing industry, although I'm sure that some, you know, individual companies also have their lobbying going on. Um, but, they, you know, they are, they're, as they say, working with the FDA, but they're, they're arguing that, you know, that uh, it was approved, phenylephrine was approved and has been available because research showed it was effective. Uh, and, you know, the, any, any additional research that FDA is saying now does, shows that it is ineffective it is no better than the previous research and uh, that uh, that it, it'd be a, it's a premature and uh, unfair conclusion to say that it's ineffective. Um, and, and if I could, that points to one thing, you know, you know, as not only has FDA got a new system, OTC monograph, but science is better, as I'm sure you know. I mean, it's only been 16 years. It's not even two decades. But, but science is constantly improving and science being including how the tests are conducted. And and FDA is well aware of that. And now I think I think the the results, the research data today, not that it was un, unreliable before, is just stronger today. And the stronger data shows that it's ineffective. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose um, you know, like you said before, the onus may eventually have to be on um, on companies or industry to do some more studies or you know change formulations or whatever but that's going to require some significant investment i imagine certainly it will but it, you know, since it's such a staple of of the otc cough cold market uh, i would think that the companies will do that I, i'm sure and i'm sure there there was there's some i think there's some direction if you will in 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 the criticism of the scrutiny of the methodology and the data, there probably is something there that, uh, or some things there that that point to how uh, a company or a person could uh, change change something about the profile or uh, of the ingredient without making without changing the ingredient to make it more bioavailable, more absorbable. Yeah, exactly. So um, just before. Also talking about other parts of the industry, obviously there are other products available that do not contain phenylephrine, um, which this is surely good news too. But I also saw one of your stories talked about uh, class action from consumers, i.e. accusing, um, well, I don't know, I have to explain it, but accusing companies of maybe misleading them or whatever. You know, if it's not efficacious, then, um, you know, they can complain about the fact that they were sold a product is that right that's right and and when we wrote that story when we posted that story that was uh three weeks ago um they you know there were we knew of uh complaints filed in three states florida louisiana and, and new york and i'm sure there are more now um and and certainly it was ex expected there was no surprise the uh, how rapidly they were filed may it may have startled some, but there was no surprise that these uh, class actions were uh, were going to come. Um, I really think it's it's uh, something that it, these are complaints that will be uh, stopped by federal preemption, which means that the companies were complying with all FDA regulations and they and they couldn't change the labeling without FDA approval and FDA wasn't requiring them to change the labeling in some way. 
Uh, so, um, I, and then, and, and there's also the, uh, um, the component of, you know, there's no harm, well, there's no harm or damage to the people other than they spent, you know, they spent money on, on the, on the products. Uh, but I really, uh, it's, I think it's a, without the harm, physical, you know, causing some physical harm, I really think it's a federal preemption case where uh, judges are going to say, you know, these companies were compliant and, and what you're asking them to do, they couldn't do. Uh, and so I think they're going to, the companies are going to prevail in, in, the, in that way. But I think also that, you know, from a company point of view, as far as they're concerned, the products work, people are using them and the research that they've done at the point of approval uh, showed that it was efficacious. So it's, you know, they're kind of going on the basis of what they know themselves, surely. Right, right. And, and, and you know, they only use them made available or made, made them available because the FDA said they're efficacious and they could say and the companies could sell them with the indication for as a nasal decongestion. Um, and then again, the U.S. works on that on as far as uh, uh, consumer litigation against a drug company. The U.S. works that on a system that if the FDA has approved it and the and the company is complying not only with the makeup of the drug board, the labeling and so on there, you know, a consumer has no recourse. Um, there, there are, there are certainly lawyers are very smart, very talented, and, and they argue around that. And there are, there are examples, but again, in this case, there's no physical harm uh, being alleged. Uh, uh, so, and, and, you know, that somebody might try to introduce research that, that uh, people would, so it would, you know, a certain condition, who uh, were susceptible because of uh, phenylephrine to develop further complications or or perhaps to develop the condition in the first place. Uh, that that may be yet to come. But so but at this point, uh, I think the, the 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 complaints of consumer complaints uh, litigation are on thin ice because uh, there there is no they have no physical harm to as for instance with talc. Uh, which is a very, very uh, highly argued topic, you know, that, that uh, women, unfortunately, are, refer, are are showing cancer from using talc products. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of going back to industry, there are, like I said, there are companies that market products. Uh, I assume they, they can, there are oral decongestants not containing phenylephrine in the US, but of course also just, uh, you know, products that do similar things in general without phenylephrine in whether, you know, a different mode of action or whatever, will they be thinking this is good for them because, you know, I, I assume that the laws are the same over there that you can't market that another product is doesn't work. I mean, you can't undermine the uh you know the science behind a competitor's product but you could promote your product uh and given the concerns over phenylephrine consumers may choose to use your product instead certainly um the uh and companies we spoke with one company uh 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 Zalier, which markets uh, that's x l e a r which markets a product with xylitols X Y L L I T O L, and it's but it's a na it's not a drug. It's a you know it's a it's a natural ingredient, um, and 
it, it uh, helps. Uh, it's it's more preventive than curative, certainly. Uh, so they are, but that company is responding. Uh, they are going to uh, increase their market, their advertising spend to uh, make you know, make the brand known, hopefully make the brand known, known to more people and emphasize that, um, you know, the, the effectiveness they, they show would be, in, you know, in a preventive sense. Um, there's a and there's unfortunately another company, uh, Biomix, Biomix Sciences, um, um, is having a recall. It's Ion brand uh, humic acid nasal sprays, which are also more preventive, are preventive rather than curative, because of some uh, some manufacturing glitch that happened. But so those are two examples: humic acid and xylitol. Of these are natural ingredients uh, that uh, certainly they can they can be synthetic versions, but they're not drugs. They are non-drug ingredients and are alternatives. Um, uh, we we reached out to several companies with other other ingredients too, uh, uh, other alternatives, but we've not heard back. But uh, uh, I would suspect that uh, even without increasing their advertising or having advertising at all, that they that, that there's going to be they're going to see higher higher sales of their products. Uh, the reason that I, meant, I point out they're non-drugs is because there are few drugs that are limit are approved or available in the U.S. Uh, for uh, uh, nasal decongestion, and then pseudoephedrine and and phenylephrine are, you know, the really essentially have all the market. And of course, you know, being non-drug, this also plays into a general uh, desire for natural alternatives. So I mean, it, it kind of it also plays into that narrative, doesn't it? That, you know, drugs are X, Y, and Z, whereas natural alternatives are beneficial for X, Y, and Z reasons. Exactly. Uh, we haven't written about that much lately, but several years ago we were uh, writing about it uh, frequently. Uh, you know, there's all you can, you don't have to look far to find some research data that more consumers are looking for natural products. Um, but the the problem is they they can't make a drug claim. They can't claim to to uh, you know to relieve the symptoms of nasal congestion. Uh, they can just uh, they're they're good certainly to uh, they work certainly to with you know if you have nasal congestion to make it less less uh, less of a problem. But again, they're more they're they're preventive products. They're not really treating something. And they and they know that they can't market themselves or label themselves to, to treat nasal congestion. So I think, yeah, to kind of sum up, um, there's a kind of big, bigger picture aspect to this, isn't there, where you, like you said, there's not a lot of drugs on the market. And, um, you know, with the restrictions around pseudo ephedrine, um, you know, phenylephrine is a popular and well-used uh, solution. Um, but also, you know, this is maybe I don't know whether what you think, whether this could also impact other uh, OTC drugs. You know, there are drugs that have been along, around for a long time that are safe and are used by lots of people. But maybe the evidence um, that went into the approval is quite old. I mean, do you think that there this could happen to any other products, especially given the timing over there with the monograph system? enabling this to happen um do you know of any other cases or do you think there are any other maybe areas of the otc market that might see something like this um 
I'm not aware of uh, of citizen petitions, and you know, as this case, uh, which was the you know the impetus for this case, uh, challenging the efficacy or safety of any particular drugs. Uh, th- there are some about the you know color color additives or you know dyes that are used in some drugs, um, but uh, um, the uh, the FDA. As I said earlier, they they won't need a petition to be aware of a safety problem uh, with the drug. And, 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 you know, the on the application, the new drug application route, uh, that's a very thorough and comprehensive uh, process and very careful. And uh, and drugs that are approved that way not only are safe, uh, but are expected to be effective. Um, As I also mentioned earlier, ranitidine. Uh, which is uh, used in heartburn treatments, uh, had the problem of or has the problem of uh, uh, possibly carcinogenic substance, uh, nitrosamine, forming in it after it's finished and as it sits on a shelf. Uh, so those, but those products were, are available all um, through uh, approved applications. It's, it's not a monograph ingredient. And so several years ago when this problem surfaced, although since then it's been shown that the problem wasn't wasn't quite as uh, bad as, uh, as expected. Several years ago, FDA and other, and other countries to simply ask companies uh, to remove from the market. And, 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 it, and so renitidine is no longer available in the U S and, and I'm sure some people still have some on their, uh, on their, uh, in their medicine cabinets, but it's no longer sold as a, uh, as a heartburn treatment. Um, there's always the possibility that, uh, uh, you know, a question about safety, uh, or efficacy will come up. Um, I'm I'm not aware. I asked around and, and and nobody got back with any any pro any suggestions. There are always you know on, on the dietary supplement side there are always concerns about various dietary ingredients and uh, and how they might affect somebody uh, in particular doses or in frequency of usage. Uh, but that's another another kettle of fish. You know those, those uh, that's a different process we're not talking about today. Um, the uh, uh, but the question gets to the the another question, which is, well, if it's safe, why if it's still safe and it is uh, phenylephrine, that is, why is FD considering it? Well, because they they don't approve drugs just to make a drug you know drug ingredient available if it's safe. You know, the, 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 they don't you know the FDA and public health worldwide, I would think they don't they, they don't suggest that people take drugs just to for the I don't know the benefit, the the uh, mental, emotional benefit of taking a drug. There are sugar pills, placebo, that sometimes you know that people think that they take a pill and they feel better. But the 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 problem is the potential problem is regular use of an ingredient, even if it is safe, even thought to be safe, uh, could have you know long term effect. It could lead to uh, you, know, you know stressing the kidney or the liver or or other organs. Uh, and uh, and or could lead to could be particularly problematic for certain populations, pregnant women, young people, old people. So, uh, you know, and you mentioned earlier, David, the, the risk benefit, you know, the, 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 if there's no benefit, even if the risk is low, even if, if there's no benefit, then the drug shouldn't be available. And I suppose, you know, the point is that the, the kind of final message is that, you know, as far as we're aware, 
OTC drugs are not only safe but effective. It's just this is a this is an isolated case as far as we know. Yes, it is. The uh, uh, and that's a good way to point out that the the standard for being a monograph ingredient is being generally regarded as safe and effective. Grace G R A S E uh, and uh, and so effective is you know as uh, much a part of it as uh, safety um and uh it's just it's quite a, it's quite it's uh, not a one off but i'm i'm aware as far as i'm aware it's the first time that this has come up where the efficacy could uh, could be a, the uh, could could uh, be marked the end of an ingredient as monograph because it's new data new research show it's it's simply not not uh, effective well, thank you, Malcolm. As usual, um, you've given an incredibly detailed and um, uh, interesting and useful overview. So I really appreciate you coming on the Over the Counter podcast again. Well, Dave, I'm always uh, excited when you ask me and, and, I, and, and I get uh, even more excited when we started. I hope uh, today that I provided a, a clear picture, uh, perhaps and introduced some new things for people to think about. But there is a lot to think about here and, and the, there will be a, a lot, if you will, of time is going to come before something actually does happen. Yeah. Well, it won't be the last time you'll appear on this, I think. So, um, yeah, thank <laughs> you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, sir. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.sightline.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Sightline podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.